Welcome to the Knox Podcast, from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. The Galatians were unhappy with Paul, who attempted to tell them the truth that persecution was, in fact, coming. They had in fact rejected him in favor of false teachers that told them what they wanted to hear. In today's sermon, the 13th in the series Galatians, The Case for Christian Liberty, Pastor Justin calls on us to not look for men's praise and flattery but to look for the approval of Christ in all we do. Please be aware that there is about a four-minute segment of today's podcast that has a reduction in audio volume. We apologize in advance for this. Let's go to God's Word today in Ephesians, sorry, Galatians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 12 through 20 today as we continue our study here through this book. Rise now to receive the word of the Lord. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come once again to your word, of the truth that you have to teach us today, May you make it clear not only to us intellectually, but to our hearts, that we would seize upon your words, your mind, your direction, and eagerly desire to go in that same path. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. So imagine one day that you found just this bucolic, beautiful little meadow you've never seen before. You decide... I'm going to go for a walk. Better yet, I'm going to go for a picnic. So you pack up a bag. You go out for a walk. You just kind of make your own way through this beautiful meadow. About half an hour in, you stop. You smell those those flowers. You look around. You listen to just the quietness of nature. And then a sign catches your eye over to the side. And you look at that sign. You're like, huh, what does that say? And you go a little bit nearer, and the sign says, Danger Minefield. And you realize, without, without understanding how you did it, that you have wandered yourself right into the middle of a deadly patch of unseeable mines. And so you're frozen there, kind of mentally trying to retract your steps, having no idea how you're going to get out of this, when a voice calls to you from over the side. Because a, a local saw you walk right into the minefield. And so this man walks up to you very carefully. He says, I saw that you were coming in here. You're in trouble right now, but don't worry. I'm going to get you out. I'm going to get you to safety. But I need you to follow my instructions. I need you to walk where I walk. I need you to do what I do. 
if you imitate me, everything will be okay. I can't imagine, unless you're the most stubborn guy in the world who refuses to take directions, that you wouldn't then follow him exactly, footstep by footstep, to get out of that uh, place. Because you're in deep danger. You need to get out of there. And the only way that's going to happen is to follow a guide to safety. Sometimes we, too, find ourselves in the minefields of life where we suddenly look around and we thought things were fine the day before and suddenly we're in deep trouble. We find ourselves in a pattern of sin that we didn't realize was creeping up on us. We find our relationships dissolving, problems erupting all around us. We're in danger. We don't know how we got here and we certainly don't know how we're going to get out of it. In fact, our only chance is if we have a guide to get us out. Well, we've been looking at the Galatians. I think we've been pretty firmly, firmly establishing that this church is now deep in the minefields. They are in serious trouble. They don't understand the trouble that they're in, which is why Paul's been trying to spell it out for them. And they have no idea how to get out of it, even if they did acknowledge that. So how do they get out? How do we get out? It's by looking for a guide to imitate step by step through that. And that's why Paul says there in verse 12, he says, imitate me. Not that I'm great, but I can lead you out. If you're like me, you'll make it out of this mess. We'll get out of it together. Take my hand. You're going to have to swallow your pride, though. You're going to have to swallow that, you know, I can do it on my own kind of sense. And you're going to have to have courage to take these steps. And if you do that, you'll be okay. Of course, the problem for the Galatian church here is that they have lost faith Paul as their guide. They no longer trust him. They've turned against him. In fact, in verse 15, it said right there that they consider Paul, some consider him now, to be an enemy, an enemy of their church, an enemy who's pouring out his heart to want to bring them back to Christ. They consider him to be the enemy. So as their pastor, instead of saying, yet yeah, again, forget you guys, I'm out of here, I'll go find a better church, you know, grass is always greener on the other side. I'm sure somebody wants me. Instead, he doubles down his argument and tries to uh, feverishly convince them why they should imitate him rather than all these agitators who have been stirring up trouble in the church of Galatia. Well, his first exhibit here that Paul says is, look at my body. Look at my body. He reminds the Galatians that when I first came to you, I wasn't in a good shape. I wasn't in a good way. I was visibly suffering from being tortured for the sake of Christ. We know that because later in Galatians 6.17, if you actually, we're going to spoil a little bit there. He, calls the, he says what's on his body, what he calls the marks of Christ. The marks of Christ. And that sounds like a great phrase. But let's look at the ugliness there. The broken bones. The whip marks cuts, the lacerations, the scars that he bears. And so he basically, when he first came to Galatia, he was stumbling in the door, his body half broken. And they saw him. And those people said, this man is telling us that Jesus Christ is the only way. But if we follow Jesus, we might end up like this. And Paul says, to your credit, Galatians, when you saw me like that, when you saw somebody visibly showed you how following Jesus Christ
very terrible way, you didn't balk. You followed Christ. You stepped up to the plate and said, I am willing to go the distance. In fact, he says, if you could have, if it persecution came down to it, you would have taken your eyes out. That's how committed you were to the sake of Christ. And so he gives them this praise that they had tremendous bravery. They were ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. And they did that because they saw Paul's boldness. And they imitated that boldness. They imitated this guy. We also have to understand that when the the Galatians decided that they were going to follow Christ, it wasn't just that they were facing physical persecution, but also social. That their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, everybody that they had been associating with, they were pagan worshipers. They were pagan followers. And now, hi, I've become a Christian. I'm no longer worshiping what you're worshiping. I'm no longer doing the things you're doing. It sets me apart. And they came under tremendous social pressure to conform, to fall back into those ways of paganism. And when they didn't, they were ostracized. The people they used to call friends no longer taking their call. Their family kicking them out of the houses. And these Galatians, the churches, couldn't turn around and say, well, maybe at least we could go to the Jewish community, because the Jewish community didn't want them either. So really, it was just the church by itself. So they faced persecution on multiple fronts. And that's a hard place to be. When you're right in the middle and you know everybody around you is looking down on you for what you believe. But the truth is that persecution doesn't just come in from the outside sometimes the worst persecution you can find is within the walls of a religious institution. Let's not forget that in the Old Testament, the prophets of God were persecuted by the priesthood, persecuted by the religious leaders of Israel. Jesus and the apostles were, of course, looked down on and opposed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the law. And Paul is continually butting heads, as he's doing here, with the Judaizers. Persecution comes sometimes wearing, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It comes within the church. It comes within these religious walls. When you cast your lot in with Jesus, you have to be prepared to suffer. And that's a hard message. It's a message a lot of churches want to gloss right over you. Come into church. God will bless you. God will give you everything you want. You'll have wealth. You'll have prosperity. You'll have all your dreams come true. That's not what Paul says. It's not what Peter says. It's not what Jesus says. He says, follow me. Take up your cross. Because one of these days, you will be persecuted. You will be hated for my name's sake. And on those days, you need somebody to imitate. In Tim Hansel's book, he wrote a book called You Gotta Keep Dancing. And he said this. He said, do you realize most of the Psalms were written under extreme difficulty? I think we do. We've been studying a lot of the Psalms. A lot of extreme difficulty there. He said most of the epistles in the Bibles were written in prison. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, wrote that when he was jailed for his faith. He said, you know Florence Nightingale? She was flat on her back when she reorganized all the hospitals of England. Louis Pasteur was semi-paralyzed. He was under the threat of apoplexy, but he was tireless in his attack on disease in his life. And Tim Hansel said this. He said, sometimes it seems that when God is about to use somebody in a powerful way, he puts that person through the fire. 
It's not a fire we want. It's not a fire we're eagerly desiring, but it has a purpose. And it brings us to a point where we can be even better ambassadors for his name's sake. Well, the good word is now what Paul wants to encourage us here is that when we head into those seasons of suffering in our life, persecution or else, we are not going out there alone. We are not the first pioneers to ever walk down those steps of suffering. But rather, we can look back at people who have already done this and have people we can imitate in our lives, role models in our lives when it's our turn. We sometimes think of persecution as that thing that used to happen a long time ago when the Romans or the Catholic Church or all these different you know, persecution uh, campaigns were coming up against Christians. No, it happens today. It happens in our world. It's estimated that every single day in our world, 13 Christians are martyred for their faith, put to death because they proclaim Jesus Christ. 200, I'm sorry, 340 million believers in our world today live in areas of high persecution. We are blessed beyond imagination to live in the country we live in right now. We don't face persecution on that level. We may, somebody may be a little grumpy that I have a sign about Jesus Christ in my front yard and give me a little bit of flack. That's not persecution. Persecution is throwing me in jail for 12 years because I say Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation or taking my children away or putting my parents to death. That's the kind of persecution people are facing in the world today. And so I think it would really benefit us, benefit our spiritual lives if we have those people to imitate I don't normally assign homework. I assign challenges. I like to challenge you to do something. But I will assign homework today. This week, look up one story of a modern-day Christian who's come under persecution. Learn their story. Come back to church and share that story with other people. Share it with me. Send me an email. I'll include it in our newsletter next week. But let's encourage each other by looking for role models in the persecuted Christian church today so that we're prepared for what comes tomorrow. Well, as good of a start as the Galatians had, and as Paul said, they had a great start. They were ready to be persecuted. Something happened. Something happened that radically changed their church, that took them away from that kind of faith, that in verse 15 he said, you have turned away from the blessedness that you had. You were blessed because you were ready to be persecuted. Now you're cowardly. Now you're timid. Now you don't want anybody to turn against you. You're afraid to stand up for the truth. And all you're doing is trying to appease the very people who are oppressing you, who are manipulating you. Well, that sort of thing doesn't happen in a single night. Remember the phrase Paul has for these people are the agitators, the Judaizers, who stealthily infiltrated the churches of Galatia. They didn't come in there one day and say, hey, we're in charge now. No, they came in very, very subtly and started changing things gradually day by day. It's kind of like that myth of the boiling frog. We all know that one where if you throw a frog into a boiling pot of water, it's going to hop out. But supposedly, if you put it in a lukewarm water and gradually heat up the temperature, you get boiled frog for lunch. It's not really true. But there is a, a, such a thing called boiling frog syndrome that's actually very much observed in humans' lives. Where if we see danger coming at us right away, we'll take measures to prepare ourselves to avoid 
or steel ourselves for the danger. But if it happens gradually, subtly, insidiously, we're not ready for it. And suddenly we find ourselves, what, in the middle of that minefield. And so that's exactly what happened here. Paul really gives us the, the timeline of what happened in the church of Galatia. And he says this in verses 16 and 17. Let's look at that again. He says, guys, I could give you the easy lie or the hard truth. What do you want? I'm going to give you the truth. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? These agitators make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you will make much of them. Let me translate this in a bit, a bit of English if your mind is kind of spinning at that phrase. He says, what happened here is the Judaizers came into the church, started infiltrating the church, and their step one of their program was to flatter the, the living daylights out of every Christian they could. They went up to all these Galatians like, wow, your faith is amazing. You guys are on fire for God. This church is incredible. I love it here. Those brownies you made on Sunday morning, oh, they were just, I got to have the recipe, that, that kind of thing flattery right so they were flattering them and they got the christians hooked on flattery we love to be flattered we love it when people come up to us and give us a compliment if they do that week after week we can almost become addicted to it we can become dependent on it oh man you know that, that i want another hit of that sweet sweet flattery and so they get them hooked on this and then what happens there is that the, the time is 11 o'clock a.m. Because now they have something that the Christians want, flattery. And so as week after week, the Christians are coming back going, these people are so great, they're praising everything we're doing. Paul says, then they started to shut you out. They started to say, well, you know, you guys are pretty good, but we are Jewish Christians. We know a thing or two more about the Bible than you do. So you guys aren't really saved. You're kind of on the outside. But, you know, it's okay. We'll tell you how to get here on the inside with the rest of us. You know, you just have to become circumcised. You have to follow all the laws of Moses. You have to do this and that. You know, it doesn't happen in one week. You know, we'll, we'll walk you through the process. But it's going to take a while. And until then, we're on the inside. You're on the outside. And so the Galatians now, they're muddled, they're confused, and they don't really see that the agitators had no intention of really letting the Christian church come into this inner circle. They wanted to keep this two-tier system because it gave them all the power. Gave them all the power. And why did they want that? Because as Paul said, then you guys are turning around and making much of the agitators. You're praising them. You're, you're extolling them. They're stepping on your heads to get ahead in life. And all you're doing is saying, thank you. You guys are great. Look how amazing you are. Look how much you know about the Bible. You guys are just peachy keen. You're making much of people who are emotionally and spiritually manipulating you. And that needs to end. It's kind of like courting somebody. Have you ever had this experience in your dating life? We start dating somebody who gives you mixed messages. You don't really know how to take it. Like one day they're all lovey-dovey, and the next day they're like, yeah, I'll call you when I call you, you kind of thing. You, know, you don't know 
how to, how to approach them. Do they like you? Do they hate you? And they start stringing you along. And if you're smart enough to recognize the danger, you get out of a relationship like that. Because that person just wants to push you down to make themselves feel better. That they're being chased and desired, but it's not really a healthy relationship they're looking for. That's the Galatian church. They're being teased, manipulated, strung along, and Paul's here to give them the hard truth. And he's really the only person who's doing it, which is why they're calling him the enemy. He says, listen, I know this is making me, you guys hate me, but I got to tell you, this is the problem you're dealing with. These people do not have your best interests at heart. They're not praying over you. They're not trying to bring you closer to Jesus Christ. All they're doing is using you. But I am here as your pastor, as a man who's been broken for the sake of Christ, and I still love you guys. I want what's best for you. Instead of looking ahead to people who are self-serving, you need to look for people who are you serving in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we do not need other people's approval or, or blessings in our life. That's great. Encourage other people. If somebody gives you a compliment, say thank you. Don't say, get that compliment away from me. I don't want it. No, let the, you know, let's take in that compliment. Be gracious about it, but don't let it feed your ego. Don't let it bring you to a point where you're dependent on that person. And if somebody comes and, and gradually tries to take away your Christian freedom, you need to get out of that relationship. You need to protect what you have in Christ. I love the fact that as we're reading the whole book of Galatians here, we see that Paul really hasn't given up on these people. He could have just written them a whole letter and at the end of it said, well, you're in the middle of the minefield. That was your own doing. That was your own problem. You guys should have been smarter, should have been wiser. I told you so. I mean, at no point does he say that. I told you so. But rather, Paul is such a compassionate pastor that he says, right now, even though I'm far removed from you guys and I could turn a blind eye to how you're making such a mess out of your church, he says what? I am in the anguish of childbirth over you. What a descriptive phrase. I don't know how many times Paul was pregnant, probably less than one, but <laughs> in back in those times, people gave birth in their houses. And so you could be walking down the street and suddenly you're hearing the screams and the groans of a woman in labor. I've seen this firsthand four times. Women are not generally quiet during this period of their life, right? There's anguish. There's a pain which you do not know until you go through. And they're very vocal about it. And so you, you sympathize with them. And you try to empathize. And you're like, man, they're going through it. But at the end of it, is blessing. At the end of it, hopefully, it's what, what we all want, which is a healthy child. That's, that's what we always say. Mother and child are healthy. That's what we want to say. And so Paul uses this metaphor here. He says, right now, I am in the anguish of childbirth over you. You're my kids. You're my flock. I want what's best for you. You guys are making such a mess out of it. You're falling away from the cross. You're falling away from the gospel. And right now, it is painful for me. Every day I wake up and my heart is breaking for you. But I am praying for you. I am writing to you. I am pastoring you. So at the end of it, you will be filled and fully formed in Jesus Christ. You will be the healthy child 
that he wants you to be. Again, this isn't Paul writing these people off. This is Paul saying, right now I'm going to suffer for your name's sake until you become fully formed in Jesus. I wish we heard that more from pastors. One of the most disheartening things I think I ever experienced and I ever see is when a pastor becomes so embittered against their, their congregation that they turn against them, that they start seeing them as the enemy. I once had a friend who told me, and this was years after we became friends and they started attending our church. They said, I used to go to a church, and one day the pastor called me in. And without so much as a, how do you do, the pastor said, you and your family are evil, and we want you to leave the church. And just telling somebody outright that they were evil. And I, I'm pretty sure, having known this person, they were not uh, outright evil. I said, how, how horrible is that? The pain it caused this family to have the one person who should be rooting for them the most, loving them the greatest, saying, forget you, go away. I don't want you in my flock. When we imitate Paul's attitude, we have an exact opposite reaction. We want the best for the people of Christ. We want to cheer them on. We don't want to look at the person sitting next to us in the pew going, you know, this church would be a lot better if they didn't come on a Sunday morning. But rather, we need to look at those people, every person, and go, I am praying that they are filled with the Spirit today, that they are growing day by day closer to the image of Jesus Christ, that I and they get along better and better, even if we have differences, that we grow in unity for the sake of my Lord. So Paul's imitating Jesus here. He says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be others serving. Jesus had a heart for the people he came to minister to. He didn't come and just literally lord over everybody and go, I'm better than you. But rather in every action, every story, every sermon, every healing, every moment on the cross, he showed us how compassionate and how full of love he was for the people of God that he wanted them to be fully formed in him. And Jesus went through that anguish, as Paul does here. And he wants us to be like this. That's why Jesus often confused and confounded the Pharisees when they went, why are you surrounding yourself with taxpayers and sinners? Because I love them, and I want them to be like me. That's why Paul confuses the Judaizers. They're going, why don't you, Paul, stay in our camp? used to be a Pharisee, used to be one of the best, the brightest, the people with the most impeccable credentials. Why are you slumming it with those Gentiles? Paul says, because I love them and I want them to be more like Christ. Church is not where we go to network for a better job. It is not where we go to look for special favors or to at least say, well, at least I'm not like that person. I'm better than them. I pray more, I do more. And I can feel better about myself in comparison. Rather, it's a place where we go to say this. What can I do for you in the name of Jesus today? How can I help you become a better Christian? So as individuals, we imitate Christ. But as a church, we must live Christ. And how we teach each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, cheer each other on, gently confront each other in our sins, look to restore each other, in grace, and build each other up for Jesus. This is his body. We need to do that. 
We need to love each other above all else. And that is the spirit of Paul. And that's what he says, I want you to imitate that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, only you know how deep and impersonal minefield we may be today as both individuals and as a church, as a greater church. Lord, there are days that we stray very far from you and we need to get back to the truth. We need to get back to the spirit. Lord, guide us. Give us this, this clear role model to imitate. Give us your scripture as you have. Open the truths of it to our eyes. Help us to, to grapple with the things that are difficult, that confront our sins, that may even offend us. But Lord, give us courage to take those steps out wherever we may find ourselves. Prepare us for the days of suffering and persecution that we, we may de- indeed face. Help us to love you more. Help us to love your church body more. Lord, help us to realize it's not about us, but when we are born in you, It's always and forever about Jesus. In your name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can listen to other sermons on our website at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found by searching for Knox Church Kenmore on YouTube. Thank you again for joining us.